Thanks a lot, Colleen. At this point, kids, feel free to go ahead and head out to Kids Church. Are they already gone? All right. Beat me to the punch. Adults, take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Judges. We uh, continue in our series uh, called The Downward Spiral in the book of Judges, and uh, we will continue our story of the fourth judge by the name of Gideon. And so uh, if you have your text, turn with me to Judges 6, and we will be starting around about verse 33. If you don't have your Bibles, no worries. The text will be with you on the screen. Again, Judges 6, starting in verse 33. Judges 6.33. I want to share with you a quick story. Uh, Charles Allen, uh, an author, uh, tells a story, a quick story in his book, Victory in the Valleys. And I'd like to share uh, this story with you to kind of kick off our second portion of our sermon on Gideon. Uh, in, in the portion of his book, he tells this story. Uh, five-year-old Johnny was in the kitchen one day, and he was helping his mother make some supper. Uh, now, it was uh, dark in the room, and there was a thunder cloud, and so Johnny was a little bit scared. And so his mom asked him if he could go into the pantry and get her a can of tomato soup uh, that she needed to make the dinner that night. Uh, but Johnny, being scared of the dark and also scared of the thunderstorm, didn't really want to go in alone. And so he said, it's dark in there, Mom, and I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't want to go in the dark pantry by myself. But she asked him again, and she persisted that he needed to go. Finally, after uh, some stalling, she said, Johnny, it's okay. Jesus will be with you in the pantry. And so Johnny uh, sheepishly, uh, hesitantly walked to the door, and he opened it slowly, and the door creaked, and he peered into the darkness, and he uh, started to, to head in to when uh, he had a brilliant idea that came to him right before he stepped in the pantry. And he said, Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me that can of tomato soup? Bright man. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to get into the second part of our text on Gideon. Uh, last week, in kind of part one of Gideon, we saw Gideon uh, driving out the, idol- uh, the idols, uh, driving out the idolatry, both from the nation of Israel and from his own heart. He drove out the idols. Um, this week, we're going to see him driving out the physical enemies, if you will, uh, from the land. He will drive out the Midianites. But the text this morning, uh, Gideon part two, is not so much about Gideon being used of God to drive out his enemies, the physical enemies. But the real point this morning, the real point of our text is about Gideon overcoming his own personal enemies. You see, the real point of the story this morning is about Gideon overcoming his personal enemy of fear. And so this morning, I've entitled the sermon, From Fear to Faith, how Gideon traveled from being fearful of God's call on his life uh, for, uh, to faith, to being uh, realizing uh, God's power in his life. Uh, the commentator Tanner summarizes the point of this section well. He says this. He says, The textual pattern of Gideon, of the Gideon narrative, is carefully composed to highlight not the deliverance from Midian, but the change that transpires in Gideon's heart. And so this morning, we're going to see a story of how God uh, brings one man, Gideon, from fear to faith. And my hope and my prayer this morning is that in my life and in your life, we will also see how God can bring us, me and you, uh, from fear to faith. So let's go ahead and jump into our text this morning. Uh, starting in verse 33 of chapter 6, um, we see uh, the first section. 
Really, there are kind of two main sections in this text. In the first section, we see God going about removing fear from Gideon's life. The last section, which we will spend not nearly as much time on, is really the realization of faith. And so he's going to be moving Gideon from fear to faith. And so in the first section, we're going to, we're going to kind of hunker down there and see Gideon uh, be moved by God from fear to faith. And there are really three kind of sections, three uh portions, if you will, of this first section. And really what we're going to see uh, God doing is taking three steps, three steps that God is going to take to help Gideon move past his fear towards active faith in God, three steps. And when you look at them, the first step and the third step involve God giving Gideon assurance through signs, through miraculous signs. Step number one, God uh, is going to give Gideon a, a sign, a miraculous sign, giving him assurance that he is with him, and Gideon is going to ask him of it. Uh, the third step, if you will, uh, God is not uh, is going to give Gideon a, a sign, and Gideon is not even going to have to ask for it. And so steps one and steps three both involve God being very gracious, uh, being very humble uh, with Gideon and, and encouraging him, trying to get him assurance to bolster his faith in the midst of fear. But what we see is smack dab in the middle of these two signs that God is going to give Gideon, God is going to expose his deepest darkest fear. What he's going to do in in this middle step is he's going to reduce Gideon's army size. Remember, he is going up against a very formidable foe in the Midianite army, uh, superior in every way. And what God is going to do to kind of expose Gideon's fear, which is the second step, is he's going to reduce his army by a crazy amount. And so as I was thinking about this, essentially what we see uh, God doing is kind of playing the good cop bad cop routine. If you're familiar with that terminology, uh, he's playing the good cop, bad cop routine. Uh, first, he plays the good cop. He gives Gideon assurance. Second, he plays the bad cop, if you will. He's kind of playing hardball with Gideon. He reduces his army. And then we see him back playing the good cop, giving him uh, over and above reassurance that he's with him. And so uh, much uh, like in the movie, and we're going to show a clip here in a second. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Pink Panther. Any, any Pink Panther? The, like the new one, not the old ones. Okay, a few of you. I heartily recommend uh, the new one to you, Steve Martin. It's very good. In fact, it's one of our favorite movies. Uh, so I would recommend it to you. But in this scene, uh, what we see is um, Jacques Clouseau, um, the kind of main character, the inspector, uh, he is, hey, I'm on the screen. It's pretty cool. <coughs> I'm going to move out of the screen. What we see him doing is essentially playing good, good cop, bad cop. And God, very much like Clouseau in this clip, plays both good cop and bad cop. So let's kind of watch this together. Disgust me. I'll be right back. Cigarette? No. Thanks. Good for you. Bisous. I know you didn't do it. Someone else did and they are trying to set you up. Will help me? Of course I help you. Now do you have any idea who might have done this terrible thing? His partner in those stupid restaurants. La Roque. Vraiment La Roque. The casino owner. Gluon would steal money from the restaurants and use it to gamble. My guess is La Roque got fed up and had him killed. Bisous. I like you. I'm going to help you. 
You and I are going to make a great team. The good cup, bad cup routine is working perfectly. You know, usually two different cops do that. <laughs> we do to prisoners who don't cooperate? We hook them up to the box. And I will cut the scene short, and you will have to go get it or borrow it from me if you want to find out what the box is all about. But what we see here is, just like in the movie, uh, Clouseau uh, unwittingly, uh, stupidly, if you will, plays both good cop and bad cop. Typically, the good cop goes in and then the bad cop, and it's two different people. We see God doing the same thing here in our text. He's playing good cop with Gideon, being nice and encouraging, and then he plays bad cop. He plays hardball. So let's jump into the text. And in our first section, the removal of fear, starting in verse 33, we see God starting off with the good cop, if you will. And the first step that we see, the first step to bring Gideon from fear to faith is that God gives him reassurance in his doubt. We see that Gideon is indeed a doubtful man. He doubts God, and I think at the heart of it, he doubts himself. And so we see in verses 33 through 40, God very graciously gives him signs to reassure him in his doubt. Uh, Starting in verse 33, what we see is that the enemy is gathering. And so the enemy Midianites are gathering their armies, and they gather together in numerous uh, 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 proportions. And they gather in the Valley of Jezreel. And so what we have, the story begins in verse 33, with the the enemies kind of below, in the valley below, and Gideon is with his men kind of uh, up above, looking down on the enemies. And we see in verse 33, he calls his men by the Spirit of God together, uh, to gather the troops together. So starting in verse 33, starting in verse 33, uh, it says this, if you will read along. Now, all of the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizirites were called out to follow him, that is, his own people. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, tribes of Israel, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, yay, Zebulun, my boy's fighting, yeah, uh, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. And so the story is set with the scene being set. Uh, the enemies are, are gathered in the valley, and he calls together the troops. The Spirit of God clothes him and enables him to be bold, and so he has uh, some, an army with him. And how this is uh, started kind of going on in verse 36 through 40. This is kind of how I see it playing out. He has his army, and so he, he's ready, and then he looks down into the valley, and he sees um, the numerous troops that the Midianites have. He sees all of the camels that they have. He sees thousands of, of uh, nighttime f- uh, fires scattered all throughout the valley, and it just looks like a huge undertaking. undertaking. And so Gideon uh, begins to doubt. He begins to doubt God, God's call on his life, and I think even more so, he begins to doubt his own self. God, are you sure that I'm the man? Are you sure that this is what you really want me to do? And so Gideon, um, 
asks God in verses 36 through 40, give me some signs. Now you remember, he has already given him one sign, pretty miraculous, and we see God acquiescing here in verses 36 through 40. So let's, let's read that together. Verse 36, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, notice, God has already said it. He just wants reassurance. Verse 37, Behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the, th- on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And so he sets out the first sign, and he says, God, do this miraculous thing. And it's summarized in verse 38. And it was so. So God did it. He gave, them, gave Gideon the sign. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. So God did his part. Verse 39. This is not enough for Gideon. Um, he says, well, maybe that's just luck. <laughs> so I'm going to switch things around. Verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. And so he says, God, I know I should trust you, but give me another one. Please, let me just test, excuse me, let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, let there be dew. And so he switches it around. Verse 40. And God did so that night. And it was dry on uh, the fleece only. And on all the ground, there was dew. And so here we have uh, the first step, if you will. Gideon is fearful. He's afraid. He has many doubts. I think he doubts himself in particular. And so God goes about playing the role of the good cop and giving Gideon great assurance. Gideon does not have faith. His faith is very weak. But God acquiesces. He's gracious. He says, okay. I care more about the mission than you, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help move you from fear to faith, and I will give you these miraculous signs. And so, speaking of us, we see the first step. God gives reassurance to Gideon when he is fearful and when he is doubtful. But what about us? You know, as I, as I read the story this week over and over, um, I, I couldn't help but see myself in Gideon uh, oftentimes, and I think if you were honest, you would probably see yourself in Gideon too. Uh, I think for, for Gideon in particular in this instance, he... He believed that God could do great things. I think that he had been convinced that God uh, was powerful. He did many uh, miracles, many signs. Um, God had done some miraculous things in the past. But in this moment, as he peers over the valley at the vast army below, I think he begins to doubt himself. And so he believes that God can do great things. He believes that God can do seemingly, uh, overcome seemingly inter, inter, uh, insurmountable situations. And, and I think... I think that's true of you, uh, of you and I. I believe that God can do some spectacular things. I believe that he can do uh, amazing things. I believe that he can overcome situations that seem impossible. I believe that he can bring people who have hard hearts towards him to faith. I really believe that, that he can overcome people's hard-heartedness. I believe, and I hope you do too, that God can change communities, that he can change our community. I believe with all my heart that he can change a, a, a family that is dysfunctional and unhealthy and make them functional and healthy again. I believe that he can clean up people who are addicted to this or that. that he, he can give us the power to do that. And I hope you believe these things too. I think that you believe that he can give peace to those who struggle with worry and anxiety. I believe, and I hope you do too, that he can fix 
broken marriages, that he can turn children who are prodigal, if you will, who are into all sorts of things that they shouldn't, and they're breaking our, our hearts as parents. I believe that he can bring those kids back. I think you and I believe that he can take a spouse who is cold spiritually, doesn't care about the things of the Lord, and transform their hearts so that they begin to love the things of God and Jesus. I believe all of these things. I think you, many of you, believe that God can do insurmountable things. But we just don't believe that he can do them through us sometimes. We just don't believe that he can use me and that he can use you to do these things. And this is exactly where Gideon was. And so the first step that we see is God says, I'm going to give you reassurance that, that, that I can do these things through you, Gideon. So he plays the good cop. Moving right along in our text, we see starting in chapter 7 that God, um, he, uh, uh, maybe he's a little frustrated with Gideon at this point because he then turns and he plays the bad cop. He, he seeks to give him signs to reassure him, to say, I'm with you, I'm going to show you, I'm going to be with you. But we see as we get into chapter 7 that Gideon is still, is still fearful He's still afraid. And we get, we get a hint in verses 1 and 2 that there is still fear, even though God has just done pretty miraculous things with the fleece. And so read with me, starting in verse 1 of chapter 7. Then Jer- Jer- Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early, and they encamped beside the spring of Herod. Notice the place where they are. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So in verse 1, we see that uh, just a a subtle hint. It's uh, it's real subtle, but we see a hint that Gideon is still afraid. He's seen two signs, but he's not overcome his doubts. And we see this from the location. I pointed it out to you. The text says that they camped in a location, and the location was called the Spring of Herod. Or Harod, if you will. Harod, like a little, a little better. That's, they get the deep huh. So Harod in, in Hebrew. And so uh, any reader would, would kind of begin to chuckle because I think the author is trying to in, intentionally tell us something here. Because the spring of Harod means literally the spring of trembling. The spring of trembling. And so the narrator wants us to know that Gideon... And the people of God, in spite of being assured by God by the signs, they're still afraid. They are in a place of trembling. They're still afraid. And so God then takes what I would consider maybe a dramatic step, uh, an extreme, uses extreme methodology uh, to help Gideon overcome his fear, uh, to move from fear to faith. And, and the way that he does that is simply by simply by uh, exposing Gideon's fear. What God does is, you know what, I've tried the good cop deal, I've given you reassurance, it's not working, and so I'm going to place you, Gideon, in a situation to where you have to turn from me. You have to face your fear. You have to face your insecurities. And so you are either going to have to trust in me completely, or just leave. Just not do anything at all. He is, big time, going to play bad cops. So let's read together. God playing bad cop in verses 3 through 8. We see this, 3 through 8. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying... Oh, sorry, starting verse 2. Let's try verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, 
the people with you are too many, notice this, are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. And so God says, you've got way too many troops. I don't want you to get any of the glory here. So we've got to do some cutting. Verse 3. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful, whoever is fearful and trembling at the spring of trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And so summing up, God says, Gideon, you're still afraid. And you've got 22,000 people who are afraid. And so, adios, hit the trail. And so Gideon says, if you're fearful, and I am too, but I can't admit it, go. And a good chunk of his army, almost one-third of his army says, adios amigo. This is a winning, a losing, a losing effort. We are going to go. And so God is cutting down his army. Continuing on in verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them there. For, uh, test, test them for you there, and any one of you, uh, of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you, and any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. So inter- interestingly enough, Gideon tests God with the fleece, and God now says, "I'm going to give a test to your people." Verse five. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give Midian into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. And so it concludes in verse 8. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And so this is a spectacular turn of events here. Um, God says, you've got way too many troops, man. I'm going to cut down everything that you are depending upon, and I'm going to expose your deepest, darkest fear, which is your incapability of being used in this way, and I'm going to make you trust in me. So he reduced his army from 32,000 at the beginning to 300. You know, I'm not a big war kind of guy, and I don't know much about military strategy, but strikes me that that's not what anyone would really want to do when you're fighting a battle, except for the Lord. And when the Lord wants to know that he is going to win, that's exactly what he does. The, the, the enemy ratio of uh, enemy Midianites to Israelites is 450 to 1. That's not good odds, you know what I mean? Not at all. But what we see here is that uh, God is doing something very intentional. God is doing something to expose the fear He's doing something to expose Gideon's fear, his deepest, darkest fear. Tanner, again, a commentator, makes the point well. Listen to what he has to say. He makes the point well. Therefore, the reduction of the army, here's the point, was to put Gideon in a position where his fear would be exposed. 
the very thing Gideon had hoped to achieve by the fleece demonstration, some kind of self-assurance that things would actually turn out well, was the very carpet that God pulled out from underneath him. And so what God is doing here is saying, I am going to expose your fear, and you must turn to me or you must run. And so how does this work for you and I? How does God pull out the carpet, the proverbial carpet, uh, underneath you and I, so to speak? How does he expose our deepest, darkest fear? I don't know, has, has God ever done that for you? Has there been a time in your past or maybe something that you're experiencing right now to where God is, is pulling a Gideon on you? He's, he's exposing your deepest, darkest fear by the circumstances in your life. And what he's really doing is not being mean. What he's doing is exposing your fear so that you have, you have to turn to him and go from fear to faith. Maybe it's a threatening illness in your family or extended family. And God is what he's really doing is exposing the fear that you have of losing that person. Maybe it's an unexpected job loss, totally out of the blue. But God intends to expose your fear of being in need. He's pulling the carpet out from underneath you. Maybe it's a dip in business sales or maybe it's a bad crop and God is allowing these things to work in your life to expose the fear of failure because you're deathly afraid of failing and he's exposing you. Maybe it's a relationship that you have to where there's such conflict, such conflict, there's such a, a possibility of that relationship, whether it be male-female or friendship, just dissolving that he's trying to expose your fear of, of being lonely. He's trying to expose your fear of being unloved. And by doing so, I think God works in such a way in our life to drive us to him by exposing our fear. Um, quick personal story um, here. When I was in college, um, I dated a young lady for several years and uh, just kind of assumed that I, you know, I'd get married and life would be good. To make a long story short, my senior year, she broke up with me. And needless to say, it was devastating at the time. But not only was it that element, but all of her friends were dating all of my friends. And so the long story short is that my senior year in, in college was very hard and it was very lonely. And I felt like all of my friends had just been, just like Gideon, the carpet was pulled out from underneath me. But in retrospect, as I pursued God and as I learned to be satisfied in him and to know that he is all that I needed, if I was single the rest of my life, I would be okay because I knew God and I loved God and he loved me. What God was really doing was stripping me of my fear of being alone. He was stripping me of my need to have someone else give me affirmation and love that I should have been receiving from him. And so that's one big moment in my life to where I, I can see God kind of pulling out the rug. I see him still doing that in my life today in the midst of uh, learning how to be a good pastor and a good leader and a good counselor and a good visionary uh, and, and a good uh, family man, a good husband, all of these things. I see God bringing situations into my life, bringing circumstances, whether it be at the church or at home, to where he's challenging me and he's exposing some of my fears of failure, some of my fears of inadequacy. He's using these things to drive me to himself and say, God, I believe that you can do this in me, just like, just like Gideon. I'm just like Gideon, and I don't know if you are either. But the second step that God took, first he reassures him, Good cop. Secondly, he exposes him. Bad cop. Finally, step three is found in verse nine of chapter seven. We see God playing good cop again. And what he does is he uh, brings reassurance once again. And the third step 
The third step that we see in this section is that he removes any hesitation. What God does is he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you over the hump, if you will. I'm going to remove any doubt that you may have that I'm going to work through you. And we see this. We see this happening in verse 9. So let's read this together in chapter 7. That same night, that same night, so Gideon just has all of his troops taken away. And you can imagine that his fear is exposed. He's like, okay, God, what are you doing? God is gracious. Verse 9, that same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, that is the Midianite camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are are afraid to go down, i.e., I know you are afraid to go down, but if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say. You shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were camped in the guard. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. So you see why Gideon is still afraid. Verse 13. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and it turned and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. Verse 14. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God, notice this, God has given into his hand Midian and all of the camp. And so God here takes a third step to remove any hesitation from Gideon's heart. Notice, who has been asking for the signs up until this point? Gideon has been. But this time, it's God who initiates. God, in his grace, says, I'm going to get you over the hump, Gideon. I'm going to give you a sign, and you're not even going to ask for it. And so go down to the camp and just just go. He didn't even say what, what's going to happen. He says, just go. And so these two guys, Gideon and his buddy, they go down to the camp in and, and, and God's sovereignty over the whole situation. They just happen to stumble upon the outskirts to where this particular guy is talking to his buddy at that particular moment. And he just happens to convey this dream that he had, which was, of course, sent from God to encourage Gideon. Do you see the hand of God in that? That just didn't happen every day. You know what I mean? God is orchestrating these events in such a way that Gideon knows without a, without a doubt, without any hesitation, I'm with you. You can move from fear to faith. Interestingly enough, the image of the barley loaf, you may be thinking, that's a weird dream. This guy must really like bread. You know, it's just kind of a weird dream to think about. But barley loaf is kind of a poor man's bread. It's what you would eat if you were poor, if you didn't have anything good. And it represented, of course, Israel because they were oppressed. They were the poor man at that time. And so God here removes any hesitation. And he says, I, I told you so. What is really ironic here is that probably four, maybe five times, God, through the angel or, or directly, has told Gideon, I'm going to give the Midianites into your hand, using that particular language. I'm going to give them into your hands. I'm going to give them into your hands. I'm going to give them into your hands. He's given Gideon three signs, I believe, at this point. He's told him through an angel. He's told him personally, 
I mean, literally, God is talking to this guy directly, saying, I'm going to give you into the Midianites into your hands. And he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe any of it. But then he goes down to the camp of these pagan people, and he hears it from the lips of the pagan, and guess what? Oh, the pagan said so. It must be right. <laughs> this is terribly ironic, and it's meant to shame Gideon uh, to a large degree. Terribly ironic. He hears the very same words from the lips of someone who doesn't believe in the God he, he does. Oh, okay, God's going God's gonna to do something here. And you know, I think we can be like Gideon in this regard. Um, we can be like Gideon in this regard. And I think what it looks like in our life is that maybe we're uh, reading through our, our, our Bibles one morning and uh, we see something and God points something out in our life through the scripture. Uh, maybe about our attitude with our spouse or how we're treating our kids or uh, maybe some uh, lust that may be lingering or some jealousy, whatever it may be. God, God speaks to us real clearly through his word about a, 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 an attitude we have, a, a wrong priority that we have, maybe a tendency that uh, we're just unaware of, but everyone else around us is aware of it. And he speaks to us and he says, this is what, this is, what is the matter. This is what I'm trying to communicate to you. But we just kind of overlook it. And so maybe we, you know, the next day or sometime that week, we're sitting in a Bible study. You know, maybe it's on Wednesday morning or Sunday school or maybe it's in a life group. And lo and behold, that same thing is brought up. That same point, that same issue. And and God is speaking right to you. And we're like, okay, whatever. (laughs) That's coincidence, you know, no big deal. And so we don't listen. So maybe the next day you're having a conversation with your spouse or maybe a good friend of yours, a trusted friend, you know, that you can really trust and you respect their opinion. And and they come to you and they say, I've noticed something. I've really noticed something. This is something you need to address. I don't don't think you're quite right here. And we're like, what are you talking about, man? You know, you don't know me. Just leave me alone, you know. And so later on that week, we're watching TV and we're, we're flipping on the tube and we see uh, you know, Oprah on and she's doing a program and it's on the same topic that we've been dealing with. Or, or we, we're listening to the radio or, or satellite uh, TV or something and Dr. Phil comes on and they address the issue and we're like, I have that problem. Oh my gosh, he's speaking right to me. And we listen to the pagan <laughs> as opposed to God's word. We are very much... We shouldn't get too down on Gideon. We are very much like Gideon. The point is, we've seen the third step. God, in his grace, removes any hesitation. So how does the story end? We're going to wrap up this way. I told you the last section is much shorter, and it is. The last section, the realization of faith. We see Gideon, fearful. Here are three steps. Finally, there's going to be the realization of faith. And we're just going to read this and kind of close up. Verses 15 through 22, let's read this together. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. Finally, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Moving on. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside of the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. Verse 18. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And so he tells them, hey, take these, you know, these, these weapons, a trumpet and a torch and some pots 
not typical war gear here. And he says, do exactly as I do. And they have great faith. They follow him. Verse 19. And Gideon and the, and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, that is about midnight, when they had just set the watch. And so there's, there's movement in the camp. There's a change of changing of the guard. Moving on. Verse 20, or continuing verse 19. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Verse 20. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and they broke the jars. They held in their left, uh, they held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And we see the results of what the Lord did. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all of the army ran. That is, all of the Midianite army ran. They cried out and they fled. They cried out and they fled. And we continue. We'll kind of cap it off here with verse 22. Then the men of Israel... um, Nope, that's not right. We'll read it from up there. Verse 22. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade, against his, uh, his comrade and against all of the army. And that is how the story ends, at least for us today. We probably are somewhat familiar with the story, so I'm not going to elaborate on it. But what we have is that finally God brought Gideon past all of his excuses, past all of his fears to be used of him in a mighty way. I want to close I want to close with this. Many of us here uh, today are believers. We are Christians. We've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And I think we can see a great story of the gospel here. I think we see Jesus in Gideon in, in many ways. And so I want to show, share with you some parallels. And I want to ask you today, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, if you've not experienced uh, what the Bible calls rebirth, being born again, I want to, I want to ask you to consider that. First of all, in the story of Gideon, uh, story of Gideon we, see, we see the gospel. First of all, in the story of Gideon, God saves his people from destruction that they deserve. We see that in the story of Gideon. They're in trouble. They, it's, it's their fault. They deserve the oppression of the Midianites. And God, simply by an act of sheer grace, says, I'll raise up a deliverer. If you remember back from last week, God initially said, man, you've done wrong. And that's it. He didn't even promise that he's going to deliver them. But out of sure grace, he delivers them from a, from a destruction that is, that is deserved. In the same way, we see God doing this on a grander scale with all of humanity. Because all of humanity not only face our Midianites, but we face the wrath of an eternally holy and glorious and righteous God. And we all, the Bible says, all are under condemnation, are due a deserved destruction by the hands of a holy God because of our sin. But God acts to save us, just like he did with Gideon, out of sheer grace. Out of sheer grace. Secondly, in the story of Gideon, we see that God saves his people simply by his power. They didn't really have to do much. I mean, they had some trumpets and some pots. Bang, bang, right? They didn't really do anything. It's very clear that it was by God's power alone that they could overcome their enemy. And in the same way, the Bible makes it very clear that it's only by God's power alone through the life and death of Jesus Christ. It's only by the power of Jesus Christ offered to us that we can overcome our sin, that we can overcome our deserved destruction in hell. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. Finally, finally, we see that there's faith. We see that there's faith. He doesn't ask them to do much, but trust in his provision. And in the same way, that's all God asks of you and me, is that we trust in the provision of Jesus Christ, that we simply act in faith. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. 
But we have to take a step of faith, just like Gideon and the 300 men had to do. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ as found in the story of Gideon. And so if you've never experienced that personally, you can do that right now as we sing, as we prepare our hearts, as we work with God, as we deal with God. You can do that simply by crying out to Jesus. And so I want to end with this quote. I'm going to ask you to pray. We're going to sing a couple songs in response and we'll be done. Tanner, again, I quote him at length here, although it's not a long quote. He says this, Gideon, in conclusion, Gideon has moved from fear to faith. And that is precisely the point of this section. Would you pray with me?